I was going to say it looks like a absolutely gorgeous, uh, gorgeous day where you are just bright and sunny and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had rain for a whole day, basically since like 6 a.m. Oh, no, it's been tricky, but it's January. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm in Nashville and it is it's like crazy windy here and I work out of my garden shed. Um, and the windows are very flimsy. So I'm kind of like, this would be the funniest recording ever if there was just like a limb that came through a window halfway through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope not. I know. Me too. Fingers crossed. Um, well, Jordan, welcome to the Frontier Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you. Mostly because everybody I talked to today was like, oh my gosh, you're you're talking to Jordan. Like Jesse loves working with you. Um, they're kind of like notorious in a good way at gun.io HQ. So <laughs> I'm glad. Like that I have a reputation. You That's do. Good, you, yeah. Yeah. Reputations <laughs> are good. I'll take it. Um, where are you based out of? I live in southeastern Pennsylvania. We we moved out here. <laughs> Oh boy, I think 2007 to get away from Dallas and the, uh, you know, big city life. Yeah. Dallas was a good place to start my career. Back at the time, a lot of uh, jobs were like in person. So I needed to be in person. But the company I was working with at the time, thankfully, gave me a chance to work remotely. So I'm like, all right, cool. Well, let's go live wherever we want. And I chose to move back up here for family. Yeah, that's like way ahead of the curve in 07. Yeah. It was it was the bad old days. I was um I was on <laughs> Skype and I had like oh, a constant no. on camera. So I would just be like there <laughs> and there was like a laptop sitting in a uh in in the office at the actual Yikes. company that I worked with. And uh it would just be my face there. And if anyone wanted to talk to me, they'd just come up and say hi. It was weird. I don't like the uh constant presence thing thankfully that has gone away yeah that seems just not um not sustainable at all i'm very glad that (laughs) that was not the case when we went remote at the start of the (laughs) pandemic because there's no way so you're a you're a developer on our platform and you also you know we're we're here today talking about your company photo booth supply so when you're talking about the early days of your career were you working as a developer yeah um, at the time I was working for, uh, a company that through a series of acquisitions is now owned by Cox Automotive, which is, I think the largest or very close to it, um, sort of like automotive industry group business. Um, we built this, uh, platform for running, um, like website, uh, websites for car dealers at the time. Oh, cool. And uh, we we tried to do a lot of bleeding edge things. Um, So I was uh, running the product and building it and trying to see and explore what we could do. So that was pretty much as a programmer when I first started. You know, you don't really need to manage a team when you're the only guy. Right. But over time, we hired more people and I did a lot of the hiring, ended up interviewing, oh boy, probably like a thousand people over the course oh of <laughs> working there and hiring several dozen and uh, working with a lot of really great folks, some of whom I still work with, including one who's with me now at uh, at Photo Booth Supply Co. So I like to I like to stick with people. You know, you find you find good people and you 
try to keep with them. I think that's what a network is for in a lot of ways. As long yeah. as you can find people you can rely on or, you know, know the good and the bad things about them, you can, uh, you know, make it work. doesn't matter the company as much. <laughs> I'm going to make a note for Abby that we should have you back on to talk about your philosophy around hiring, because I feel like you've probably seen a lot, um, both as a hire and being hired. So that would be fascinating. Yeah. But today we're talking about Photoboost Supply Co., I think one of the best parts of working with the people I work with day to day is that we get to like see things come to life. That's probably my favorite thing. Like we get to create every day. Walk me through, like, let's just get a basis of like company history, kind of how you got started, what y'all do, and we'll kick it off from there. So I have to say that I have not been with Photo Blue Supply Codes from the start. The company was um, started by Brandon and Katrina. Uh, this year is year number 10. So that's a success, right? Oh my gosh. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Prior to uh, officially starting this company, they both worked together as uh, wedding photographers and ran a very successful business doing that. And after a while, they were doing some like expos. And so they went to this expo and they saw a photo booth. And I might be butchering the story. Brandon might kill me <laughs> later, but um, it's all good. The way I understand it is that uh, they saw it and they're like, "We can do that." So, you know, they're very scrappy, and I think in the course of like three weeks, they figured it out. You know, how do we assemble the parts, the like laptop, the software, the network, everything for like actually making this. And on top of that, Brandon is um, self-admittedly not technical. Like he doesn't have a, a programmer background or uh, anything like that. He's just smart. So they figured it out. Yeah. And they built the first booth that then became the essentially the foundation for Photo Booth Supply Co. So that was 10 years ago. And the, the company rode on that for a while. It was mostly like a hardware company at the time mm. and support. That's a really hard business to be in, by the way. Mm-hmm. Hardware support. I That's one of the harder parts about the business because, you know, it started in hardware, but then we started doing software about five years ago, if I'm doing the calendar math all right, with another product called Queso. We name all of our products after like Mexican food or Spanish language food anyway. Genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So Queso was the next one. And it was the first one where we did both um, hardware and software together, which is a whole new world, right? So the company built um, software custom, um, tried to uh, basically like hire uh, a couple people to build it out, um, support it, expanded the team, um, and got a lot of, you know, growth and learning and, and other things. Uh, it was also the first combined hardware and software product. So, you know, I'd had good things and it had bad things and, yeah. you know, you learn a lot in that process. The next one is our most famous booth, which is called Salsa. And that is still a photo booth, but based on an iPad. The previous one was like custom hardware, essentially, with a custom camera. Really nice camera for the for the queso, but the salsa uses the built-in iPad camera that just pairs with the with the booth. So you have all this hardware, you have all this software working together, 
it's complicated. A lot of a lot of folks who are in software have worked in a software only company. Mm. So you're you're dealing with like a traditional SaaS, right? You don't really have to deal with supply chain all that much. You don't have to deal with logistics of like, okay, all your hardware is out on a boat off the Pacific Ocean. Or repairs, right? <laughs> you don't know like when people it, are gonna get their boots. Yeah. In software, yeah. it's like, okay, something's busted, let's like ship a fix and then everybody's gonna have it on their device and you know, however many hours it takes for us to figure it out. And hardware is just it feels yep. like an ancient an ancient kind of struggle. But there's so many products I use on a daily basis that really are like it's hardware and software combined. And so there's, there's folks who do it, but hats off to y'all. That is, that's tough. So Abby, Abby kind of filled me in a little bit on like, you know, moving from producing these hardware and software products to be used by Photobooth Supply Co. as a business to enabling other folks to kind of start their own Photobooth businesses using the Photobooth Supply Co hardware and software. So when did, Mm -hmm. has that been kind of a a thing since the beginning or is this a more recent development? Yeah. So that's the business model. It's a, what you would call B to B to C. So we have two groups of customers really, right? Um, We call one group, the owners. So that's people who want to run a photo booth business. So they're out in the event space. They want to go run events. Um, essentially half of the software that we build is actually just event management. Interesting. Right. Like how do you go do proposals for people? How do you go like show them what, what you can do as like an event planner or a photographer who adds this on as a service or a DJ? There's a lot of different types of people who are our owners. The, the market is actually really big. So half of it is the owners and the goal is to make them as profitable as possible. Right. We give them marketing materials for free we give them um i say for free it's included let me say it that way (laughs) Um, we support them we help them like tremendously well compared to like most other companies that i've worked for like our customer success team and our customer experience team support do an awesome job at taking care of people making sure that they are you know using the software correctly, taking advantage of all of the features, helping them get to the next stage in their business. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other part of it is the guest experience. You know, you've got people at a wedding maybe, and what we're offering is, um, you know, maybe a, a beautiful memory of everyone in the family being together for a wedding. And maybe that's the last time you see your grandparents and you have this beautiful photo and video of them. You know, you're making a, a really big difference. And I like that that impact. And it's multi-layered, right? Like you're not just providing people memories. You're also helping people get out of like month to month um, payment or, or income kind of a thing. Helping people start a side hustle that turns into their main hustle. And then they make more money than they ever dreamed. Making that dream become a reality for people is is really cool. <laughs> it seems like... You are a very mission-driven company. Like I'm hearing the mission is very clear with the impact that you're having on folks' lives, whether they're the owners or the guests, because some companies struggle with that. In fact, a lot of companies do. And it's hard to rally a team and a market around the thing that you're creating without that like crystal clear mission. And so I'm curious about like how that's cultivated 
on the team? Have you seen that it's been intentional or is it just kind of like everybody gets it? It's easy to grok. You come on because this is the kind of work you want to be doing. I will say that that makes hiring a bit easier. It's really easy to see the impact of something where you can say, hey, like you're giving people photos and videos of of key moments in their lives. Um, Fantastic. Like that's not hard to describe. And people are pretty much on board immediately with that. Plus it's fun problems to solve um, on the engineering team, right? Like not, not everybody gets to work on photo and video capture, but it's visual. It's, it's fun. It's interactive. And uh, you know, that there's a draw to that for sure. uh, Just from the hiring perspective. Mm. But I do think it goes a bit deeper than that too. We end up with um, like our, our product itself ends up being um, very customer driven, right? You can make data driven decisions about your customers a lot more easily when you know what your mission is. Like, you know who the other people are um, who are using your product. And our product department has done an awesome job of, of not just deeply understanding the customers, but also um, spreading that knowledge out to the rest of the company too for people who don't maybe talk to the customers every day. You can keep it in mind, but you you know, as a programmer, it's really hard sometimes, right? Because you don't have like a necessarily a specific person in mind. You just sort of have a vague idea at a lot of companies about how people will be using the stuff that you write. But, you know, we have an advantage that it's really obvious. You know, you build a new face filter, um, you know, similar <laughs> yeah. to how you might see on Instagram or... TikTok or Snapchat, and you end mm. up actually seeing people use it, and you can see the captures, um, like on your own events and such, and it's fun. It's yeah. like immediate impact. That's so cool. Um, I'm curious about like I call them like my fairy god companies. You know, my my role at Gun.io is growth and and marketing, and you know everything we're doing we're doing for the first time and so i always have kind of a set of like fairy god companies who for me kind of embody all the things that i want us to be really excellent at too so i'm curious if you've got any other companies that are kind of who are working towards the same goals right like empowerment and have a super solid mission that you kind of look to as solid examples in this space well let me talk about uh, some of my other um, uh, clients, real quick. Um, one of one of my favorite clients has been this company based out of um, New York called Testing Mom. And you know, again, going back to knowing people forever, the um, the CTO of that company was um, uh, one of my professors in college. No. So <laughs> out of the blue, one day he's just like he emails me. He's like, hey you do this kind of work, right? I was like, yeah. So I came in and helped them get sorted out. They needed to, um, you know, turn essentially their website into a product. They, mm. they kind of made uh, a lot of improvements on a WordPress site and needed, you know, to, to make a real app out of it. So I came in and helped them. Um, and what they do is they help, um, they help people essentially get their kids prepared, like doing test prep, doing education prep, um, and, you know, giving kids fun games and learning activities to help, you know, provide education. Um, early childhood education is really important 
to me as a mission because yeah. there's a lot of opportunity in the education space to improve how we help kids learn and grow and figure things out and understand the world. And, um, you know, they they have a part in that. And I really, I really appreciate that, you know, their goal and their mission is to prepare kids, which seems a little weird, you know, you're preparing kids for tests and such, but what that does is it opens up a whole lot of opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have had, especially in, you know, the New York like public school system, which is wild and crazy. Regents Um, are no joke. I, (laughs) I went through that public school system and I, I, it's like whiplash still. So Mm -hmm. they've done, in my opinion, a great job of, of opening up doors for a lot of kids, um, who've then gone on with a much better education that the other, than they otherwise would have had. Um, so I love, I love, uh, you know, working with companies like that. Um, I've been programming or in this space for like 25 years this year. Oh my God. <laughs> and, you know, you just kind of get sick of working for companies that are just like the same old, like there's either no mission or you're just like, okay, this is a copycat of every other fad that's out right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that I've been around long enough that I can be picky um, and, you know, recognize that is an opportunity that not everyone has, but you know, when you do get to that point in your career where you can start to make choices, you know, hopefully it's not an either or thing where you have to choose a mission you believe in or a high salary. (laughs) But, you know, if you do have to unfortunately make that compromise, then the mission one is what will keep you going even when, um, you know, the job itself maybe isn't as fun. I actually, I used to be a public school teacher. And so I, what you're talking about with education really resonates with me. And I think like teaching is one of those, it's one of those careers where you're so close to the problem that it's really hard actually to affect more broad trends. And I think the position of a software developer or a tech company that's working in this space is a privileged one because the scale of your impact is just exponential. Um, so what a cool yeah. place to be sitting in, right? Also, I have to mm-hmm. ask the structure behind you. I can't, I don't have a sense of scale. Is that a chicken coop <laughs> or is that a part of your house? That is a greenhouse actually. Oh, how cool. Although I got to be honest, we, we have very few green things in it except for weeds right now. So <laughs> it's mostly for storage. That sounds like my garden. I was going to laugh if it was a chicken coop because I'm looking out this window as my chicken run. And it's like the best distraction during the day to look at them. (laughs) We're going to do that this year. We we do have some space out that way for some chickens. So looks like you've got like infinite space over there. Got to uh, combat the rising egg prices. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, I thought it was going to be like the golden ticket. I got these chickens like four years ago and I get new ones every year because chicken math, you know, you start with five, you end up with 30. Yep. (laughs) And they all are on egg laying strike right now. It's like they read the news and they're like, Oh, egg prices are high. We're going to get back at this lady for buying us the cheap feed. No. (laughs) So I haven't had a single egg in the nesting box for like two months. I'm like, this is nuts. You guys are delusional. That's my fear is we go put all this time and effort into um, into the chickens and they 
don't lay eggs. But the good news is that, you know, my, my kids are excited to just have chickens and hold them. So <laughs> they are fun to hold. <laughs> yeah. As long as that doesn't get taken away from them. <laughs> yeah. No, they're hilarious. Just, you know, keep in mind, whatever coop you build, you're going to need one that's four times as big because you're going to end up with four times the chickens oh. you think you're actually going to get. That's true. That's the rule. That's the rule. Well, I want to, I want to circle back to this hardware and software, um, kind of conundrum. We, we talked about, you know, that's a really difficult space to operate in. And I think there's lots of folks, maybe some who are listening who have a great idea and it involves custom hardware and that scares them away from pursuing said idea. Um, and so I'd love to hear your take after several years of working in this space. Like, what are some lessons, hard won lessons um, or advice that you could share um, for other folks who are kind of navigating that, that hardware space? The most important lesson, I think, with hardware is that it, you have to kind of treat it like it's permanent. Mm. One of the mindsets that a lot of software engineers have is like, okay, well, we kind of messed up. We, we launched a bug, whatever. We can fix it on the fly, especially if you're doing like a web-based software as a service. It's pretty easy. Even when you're doing like a release on a, uh, on a mobile app store, you know, you know that within a week or so, maybe a little longer, you can have a new version approved and, you know, you fix your bugs. So it's not painful for forever. Hardware, Hardware choices are very long lasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to support it forever. And, you know, that's another thing is like you have actual backwards compatibility to deal with too. Mm. So, you know, if you mess up on some of those decisions about like what you're going to build in your hardware and all of a sudden maybe that part gets, you know, off the market or like discontinued or whatever, you're, you're kind of toast. You know, you, you have to go figure that out and rebuild your whole like logistics about how you're, how you're sourcing your stuff. Mm. And when you're dealing with like integrations, you know, you have a software product that might be improving like by Moore's law every 18 months, like getting more and more and more powerful. And, you know, your hardware is like 10 years old. And, uh, and you still have to support that. What are you going to do? Yeah. You do have to be more thoughtful, I would say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have this, I think, internal struggle, um, thinking about agile and waterfall, you know, they, they tend to get contrasted and, and a, an unfortunate trend that I've seen is that people will put off the hard work of doing the thinking about how to build good software until it's really late in the prog process. You know, they're like, oh, we're agile. We're going to iterate on this. It's like, well, you can, um, but it might take you a way longer time than if you just sat down and had a really tough conversation about um, the, making choices hmm. in the beginning that lead to better architecture long-term. You see this a lot in startups where it's an anything goes mentality. We're just going to get it out the door. Move fast and like break things. Thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a damaging mentality sometimes mm -hmm. because people will assume that they'll be able to fix things and they won't, you know, you run out of time, you run out of resources, there's a new feature to develop, um, or worse, you have to build 
features on top of the horrible foundation you made. I'm not saying that we should give up agile, but uh, <laughs> I don't really think it's very agile when you're when you're wallowing in technical debt and have to pay it off for like three years instead of actually releasing any features. You know, that's that's right. not agile. That's drowning. So a little bit of thought up front towards at least a general architecture, plus, you know, putting in the time and the energy to, to make some of those hard decisions, regardless of whether you have a hardware integration or not, can make a really big impact. Being thoughtful, getting people in who have seen what happens when you don't think about that stuff and have the battle scars can really help um, improve quality of life for the whole team down the road. It almost sounds like having to work within the constraints of hardware have made, have, have formed your kind of hypothesis around good software development, right? Like it's made you a better kind of more careful, more like intentional software developer. Mm -hmm. That and also being part of the, uh, what I would say is the worst part of startup culture where it's just like, iterate endlessly and be burned out and that's fine like that that is definitely another one-two punch of like i I don't know i don't want to be up you know working 100 hour weeks just because i made some bad decisions a few months back you know it's better to be thoughtful yeah or just like shipping because there's an expectation to ship weekly or daily right and for what reason and what impact nobody really knows (laughs) So, yeah, there's some solutions nowadays that I think are are starting to take hold, which are really good. Like being product led is, um, you know, something that we're working on at Photobooth Supply Co. Right. And it's a it's a really nice way to do business because it is very much customer first mm-hmm. and it's data driven. You know, you you end up having to do a volume business versus like having whale customers. So it's not always great for very large corporations. But, you know, if you're a startup um, or ideally you have some traction, um, you know, doing that research on what your customers actually want and specifically building something for um, more than one person. Once you have the luxury to do that um, past the prototype stage, go for it. You know, go get that data. Go find out what they actually want and what will make improvements on their lives. And, you know... Figuring out what you're going to build is way more important than how you build it. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really help to have uh, a perfectly architected piece of software that nobody wants. (laughs) Yep. And unfortunately, it takes a long time to learn that nobody wants it uh, if you don't do the work up front. So you mentioned Photobooth Supply Co. is leaning into a product-led model. Um, I'm curious if you have any favorite resources for folks who want to kind of transition the way that they think about growth and development to product led as well. I believe the title of the book is called product led growth. Um, it is full of the foundations that you would need. Um, and you can agree or disagree with some of the the pieces and, you know, that's kind of the point of reading and advice in general is that you need to contextualize it to your own circumstances. Mm -hmm. But knowing the landscape of what it means to be product led, um, I think is really important. And, you know, what are the alternatives to that, you know, being dictator led or being sales led or, you know, being, um, you know, developer led. 
those are the alternatives and you know they all have their pros and cons you know for a while apple for example was dictator led and Mm -hmm. now they're basically either number one or number two in market cap in the entire world right yeah so you got to figure out what works for your your company for the most part not dictator led don't do that (laughs) (laughs) if anyone's out there is listening (laughs) thinking (laughs) we need to switch yeah that's not the takeaway here that's not the takeaway for <laughs> sure. Well, I have to read that. I just Googled it. I think it's Wes Bush who wrote product led growth. Let's see. Yeah. Wes Bush. So I'll check that out. I get, um, Alexa Grabel. She's the co-founder and CEO of Pocus and she's got a great newsletter too on product led growth. Um, which I really, really appreciate. Yeah. Well, Jordan, is there anything else? specifically about photo booth supply co um that you want to touch on today well i can tease that we have some improvements coming Ooh. um some new software some new hardware i'm not allowed to share first. too many details <laughs> but you know we have some uh some nice things coming out this is very industry specific but uh we're all going to vegas next month for an expo for photo booths um I will say uh, running a photo booth is actually a pretty good side business too. So, um, you know, a lot of developers or, you know, their significant others are, you know, looking for a side hustle and running a photo booth is actually a really good one. It's, um, it's one of those things that you can kind of scale up or scale down depending on your schedule, which is pretty cool. Um, That's helpful. And you're not beholden to it forever. You can just stop if you're tired or busy or whatever. It's a great thing, I think, for um, when I think of folks who live in Nashville, who are artists, they piece together a lot of kind of like passion projects Mm -hmm. and they're at events all the time. Like Nashville is a really event driven city. And I can see, you know, running a photo booth being it just an awesome idea for a side hustle for folks like that. It, It really is. It's it's a business in a box which is really cool. Like our, our salsa product is $3,000, which, um, you know, if you, I'm not saying you necessarily have 3000 laying around, but that's not a whole lot of money for a business that, um, you can pretty much just like flip the power switch on. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a bad deal. And a lot of our owners, as long as they're, you know, diligent and do the work, it's not magic. You just have to do the work. Um, if you do that, you can make that back in a month um, yeah. without even really running that many events. Will that happen for everybody? Of course, there's no guarantee. I have to say that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the owners who, you know, put their heart into it and give it a, a good try, um, you know, easily see the payoff where they're in the black very quickly. Yeah. And then, so folks can find you at Photo Booth Supply Co. Yeah, photoboothsupplyco.com. Uh, we're also on uh, Instagram and TikTok a lot. Um, you'll get oh, to cool. interact with um, Amber, who's our social media manager. Oh, very fun, very bubbly. Um, awesome. You can uh, you can say hi to her on on TikTok or Instagram at any time. She'll love it. Well, we'll send people your way, Jordan. And it was so much fun to chat with you on all things uh, from the importance of a strong mission to 
hardware challenges to side hustles to chicken coops. Um, so I really, I really appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you for, for coming on with us. Yeah, definitely. It's been a while since I did one. So nice to be on a podcast again. Yeah, we're back, baby. We're podcasting. It's it's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.